Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. This is RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Welcome aboard. In August, there was a flare-up of violence in the Gaza Strip because of concerns of an imminent attack. Here to help us understand what's happening is Ryan Bowles, Senior Middle East and North Africa Analyst for RAIN. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Emily. So let's talk about what happened and how long it lasted. Right, so we had three days of fighting between the Israeli military and a group called Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which I'll call PIJ from this point on. Um, Palestinian Islamic Jihad is one of the smaller militias in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Hamas are the rulers of the Strip. They're in charge of the government. They're the ones who are the big militia that fought that war with Israel last year. Uh, PIJ is one of their allies, uh, but they are smaller, a little bit less capable, and they are not responsible for government. Um, And what happened was at the beginning of this month, the Israelis have been trying to crack down on a wave of terrorism that's been emerging from the West Bank uh, since the beginning of the spring. And one of their operations resulted in the, re- the arrest of a senior PIJ leader. PIJ then threatened to attack Israel unless he was released. Israel refused to release him. And then the fighting began uh, at midpoint in August. What then followed were three days of fighting between the two sides, and it resulted in about a dozen casualties on both sides. And some points, PIJ rockets were landing inside of the Gaza Strip and causing civilian casualties. The Israelis inflicted civilian casualties uh, within Gaza. And then by that Sunday, the operation, this, this Israeli military operation, Operation Breaking Dawn, uh, began on a Friday, and then by Sunday we had a ceasefire, an Egyptian-mediated ceasefire, very similar to other patterns of conflict that we've seen in the Gaza Strip. And then things quieted down from there, and we went back to the status quo ante uh, before the Israeli military operation began. So what I'm noticing about this is the PIJ is unique. What does this tell us about Israeli and PIJ strategies going forward? So what was interesting about this particular round of violence is that Hamas did not get involved. Hamas has a larger rocket and missile arsenal. They could have caused a lot more damage. uh, And they're supposed to be the ones who protect the Gaza Strip. But they chose to stand aside from this conflict. This was a PIJ-Israeli war. uh, And it was very short because PIJ simply doesn't have the capabilities to sustain a long campaign against Israel. And so what this tells us is that PIJ is now the more hawkish and aggressive faction within the Gaza Strip. Uh, If there's going to be a faction that attacks Israel at scale, right now it looks like it'll be PIJ more often than Hamas. And that's because Hamas, over the past few months, has been grappling with an economic crisis. Now, we don't have economic data out of the Gaza Strip that's terribly reliable, but we do know that Hamas officials are talking about banks running out of money, they haven't been able to pay civil servant salaries, uh, they can't afford food and fuel because of the war in Ukraine causing those price shocks, And so Hamas is prioritizing the economy. Now, to keep the Gaza economy going, they need to get aid from Qatar. And that aid comes through Israel. And that means that Hamas has to decide if they're going to escalate against Israel, they're putting that aid at risk, they're putting their economy at risk, and they're putting their legitimacy as the rulers of the Strip at risk. Now, PIJ doesn't have this problem because they're not part of the government. They're a militia that's armed and they get support from Iran as well as through smuggling. Uh, 
PIJ is free to escalate whenever they like. So PIJ is able to behave the way that Hamas was able to before they took over the Gaza Strip without any of these serious consequences of actually being a governing body. Uh, and, and this creates a different risk profile because now what we're looking for are moments when PIJ might escalate against Israel even without Hamas's uh, permission. We're also looking at how Israel may be viewing this. Israel may have concluded from this war that they can carry out more aggressive strikes against PIJ, and they did assassinate several senior leaders in this campaign. They may be conclude that they can attack the Gaza Strip more often, so long as it's just PIJ targets. If they don't cause any Hamas casualties or they don't cause enough damage to upset Hamas or anger Gaza population at large, and they then demand Hamas attacks, if they can do that, they might be able to strike PIJ targets more often and, and sooner, which is, of course, notable going forward because we're entering election season again in Israel. Uh, the caretaker prime minister, Yair Lapid, he is trying to show that he's still a strong security-minded prime minister as he runs for re-election. And attacks on the Gaza Strip, especially on groups like PIJ, is one way to win over right-wing voters. Yeah, but I mean, one of the things that popped out to me is that there were actually fatalities on both sides. And this is not something that is unusual. It seems like these bouts of violence come back over and over again. Um, are they destined to repeat? And if so, what does that mean for the area? Well, it, I mean, it's a good point because last year we had an 11-day war that, that took up a lot of headlines, but ultimately resulted in just going back to the status quo. We've had conflicts through 2018 and 2019 that were sort of simmering. They never escalated to full-scale wars. Those again went back to the status quo. The 2014 war went back to the status quo. What we have is is damage and, and casualties on both sides uh, that don't then change the strategic dynamics, except for in a couple of notable things in regards to the Israeli population at large. Each one of these wars changes the Israeli public's attitude towards Gaza and the Palestinian cause and kind of hardens attitudes towards the Palestinians. They see the Palestinian issue as something that can only be dealt with by military means and that diplomacy isn't necessarily really worth it. And this makes it so that the peace process becomes even more unlikely. We, we already have a frozen peace process and it, it has no chance of coming back anytime soon, especially without the United States or, or Israel showing any interest in it at the moment. And with each one of these wars, Israeli voters start to say the only solution to Gaza is to treat it as a, as a permanent military conflict, something that we manage from time to time, but that we never solve. And it pushes the Israeli electorate more towards the right. Now, that has ripple effects beyond just the Gaza Strip. As Israelis' attitudes towards the Palestinian question become a bit more nationalist, a bit more right-wing, it means that some of the far-right elements of the Israeli political spectrum are able to get into the, the Knesset through elections, and they can start pushing for more radical policies, things like annexing the West Bank, things like expanding settlements in, in sensitive territories to the Palestinians in the West Bank, because the ultimate goal of the far-right, as well as a fair bit of the right-wing, is to annex the West Bank and make it part of Israel, and they don't not necessarily know what they have a plan to do with the Palestinians that live there, but the idea is to expand to this greater Israel. And each one of these Gaza conflicts sort of reinforces that that narrative may be the only viable one to the Israelis. 
But if Israel ever does go down that road, they very nearly did try to annex territory in 2020 in the West Bank. If they do that, it's going to be at a possible risk of isolation internationally. The United States would not be on board with annexations. The European Union definitely wouldn't. And their new friends in the Gulf Arab states would be put into a very awkward position where it would look like they had enabled an expansionist Israel. So there would be these repercussions for Israel's own relationships abroad uh, if they start to move in this direction where politically every politician is incentivized to annex territory, to expand Israel. But internationally, diplomatically, there's such great penalties for that, that they get stuck in this this kind of place where they choose between their voters or their foreign relationships. Many politicians will choose their voters first because that's ultimately who they're accountable to. Ryan Bowl is a senior Middle East and North Africa analyst for Rain. Thanks for that analysis, Ryan. Thank you, Emily. You can read his work in Worldview, which is Rain's geopolitical intelligence solution. Worldview is a professional application that is focused on analysis. It is not a publication about news. Sign up for a trial at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue, and thanks for listening. <laughs>